Hello and welcome to Not Bane Podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a Black millennial view. Every week, join me, Bay, and Corey as we look at Parliament and stories from across the diaspora. Welcome back to Not Bane Podcast. It's a doozy, an absolute doozy of an episode today. We're going to cover a few different things, but they all wind around the tree of state. Okay, Corey is very, very excited because Suella Braverman's resignation letter has just come out and he literally screamed mere seconds ago, so forgive his exuberance. As we speak, before (laughs) going to air, I read the now former Home Secretary Suella Braverman's resignation letter. Three-page letter. Sorry, not resignation. Post-sacking letter. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the new Foreign Secretary... Drum roll, please. Have we got any sound effects here? I don't know if this can be heard. Did you hear that? You couldn't hear mine. I just did one. You couldn't hear it. Hear yours. Uh. <laughs> Imagine drum rolls. Yes, we have a new foreign secretary now by the name of the Lord Cameron. You're not hearing things. David, call me Dave, hug a hoodie. Cameron is back. <laughs> the former prime minister is now the foreign secretary. God. Zombie Prime Minister, like, honestly, they're digging up people from the past. Pure desperation from Rishi at this point. So we've got musical chairs in Cabinet. We've mm-hmm. got the ceasefire vote for what for Gaza tomorrow in Parliament. And then we've got mm-hmm. Rishi, Rishi's AI obsession. But it all... What you're telling marries- me is season three of the UK is back and it is ready to roll, baby. But the thing is, it all marries into one unified tree of state slash I wish you guys could see the arm movements that I'm getting over here. He's he's doing two arm tree with branches. So yeah, Uh before the tree, some branches. With out any further ado Mm -hmm. to the musical chairs of cabinet. So yes, yesterday, (laughs) Monday morning, we all got up and we we heard the news. The, the, resh- the, we than that, the reshuffle, the reshuffle that has been threatening to happen since last week, I would say, since you know Suella's hate marches, since her article in the Telegraph, um, Times. where she in the was it the Times or where she compared the Orange Order to the IRA. Is that what she said? No, she right. So we'll get into we'll yes we'll get no, into what, the she, no sorry she she confused Unionists and Republicans. That's what Indeed. it was. And the, she she uh, described the pro uh, Palestine marches as marches akin to the order, Orange Order in terms of the amount of intimidation that she says that other people are feeling, which is such an interesting observation. So she is now the former Home Secretary. She was sacked yes. at eight thirty a.m. Rishi got up. He said, "Weekend's done. Get, it's eight thirty. Listen, Tommy and his boys. Tommy and his boys broke into the cenotaph, and I think that was what really sort of that and Mark Rowley's comments on the News Agents podcast last week sort of underwrote that this was going to be the outcome. Because before we, I think just I think it's important to point out before that we talk about Suella's um, firing is the reason that we got here is because Suella, like we said, she was making quite um, inflammatory remarks and sort of was essentially, like, if we're being really honest, she was attempting to incite violence on the streets 
or she was attempting to make it seem like there was any sort of um, that the marches had anything to do with disrespecting Armistice Day, which obviously they didn't. And these are the, the marches, marches for for, God, for anybody living under a rock. These are the marches every Saturday for the past few weeks against the Israeli government of calling for a ceasefire and calling for a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip, but also calling for a ceasefire in the West Bank as well. So um, these past few Saturdays, there has been a march every Saturday calling for a ceasefire and they've gotten progressively bigger and bigger. And I think obviously seeing that the amount of um, political, I mean, that sort of public condemnation, which is very much against the general political consensus has got quite a lot of politicians sort of ruffled. They're seeing themselves being on the wrong side of history. They're seeing that their constituents are not, they're not aligned with their constituents in a very large scale manner. So it's inciting a lot of um, politicians to speak quite rashly and Suella has been one of them. And what's happened is it's gone from, uh, you know, there's going to be a peace march the day before Remembrance Sunday on Armistice Day, which is the Saturday. And it's gone from that. So there should be no protests on Remembrance Sunday. There should no be no protests to on Armistice Weekend to the 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 cenotaph is under threat essentially. So you got what the um, press was calling quote unquote counter protesters also making their way down to London seeking violence or to protect protect their veterans and the veterans' memories and the cenotaph. I mean, Obviously, sure that these types of protesters yeah. are basically uh, football lads, football hooligans, as some would say. I think, uh, I think, I think it's unfair to uh, to to describe all of them as football hooligans. We don't know. No. Maybe they like cricket. <laughs> no, 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 no. So the bulk, so uh, the bulk of the counter protesters were it, it, so it's it's organised football groups, football supporters associations up and down the country. So they were uh, a bulk of the people who were coached it down or maybe took the tube into London on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, it was this sort of organised football lads, football groups, football associations, not the People who like to watch football. People who like well, to These are organised football and, and assigned assigned yeah. football supporters. But the yeah. reason that they were here was not about football. The reason that they came down to London specifically was to, to go down and protect their boys and protect the cenotaph. And a lot of them ended up actually fighting the police and breaking through the police um, guard towards the cenotaph and then spent a lot of their time sort of when they realised that the march wasn't going nowhere near the cenotaph, that's the uh, pro-Palestine march, sort of ambling around and getting into scuffles, fighting the police because those were the only people that were at the cenotaph that and the uh, remembrance um, service, which was at 11am. Yeah. Continue. Indeed. Mm -hmm. so that yeah a, a great summary there of what happened on saturday with those marches uh and and of course that within the context the context of suella braverman's sacking as home secretary she was sacked so the sacking really yes she she definitely incited uh she 100 incited what happened on saturday with her article in the times last wednesday i believe it was but the big issue is and i think the real reason she's been sacked not that i'm sure she didn't want to get rid of her anyway but the real reason she's been sacked is because that article didn't have the permission of number 10 in its con in terms of its content so oh, that no, article I think, that went I think out it did though it, no it, it didn't did have permission they said no. that it was it was seen by number 10 before it went out. Right. Sorry. So let me clarify. So 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 as as is standard, when uh you know senior government ministers like the Home Secretary are, uh, are going to pen an op-ed for you know the Times, it's sent to number 10, and the Prime Minister's team then will go through it and uh, make amendments, make suggest well, suggestions, 
really those suggestions are not really suggestions they are you need to change this or you need to add this or you need to take this out so obviously she's allowed to write for the time she's allowed to write for whoever she's a home secretary the government obviously wants its minister's voice in the papers and papers such as the times however the issue is she refused to uh, make the edits that were that she was told to make by number 10 and she sent the unedited article to the times and that's what was published and that essentially is insubordination. She's flat out refused a direct order, for want of a better word, from the prime minister. And uh, essentially, she's broken the ministerial code. It's not the <laughs> first time she's broken ministerial code. There uh, as, uh, underneath That's her, she was her letter, fired the last time. Indeed. Underneath her letter, which she posted on Twitter not 15 minutes ago, uh, the first comment, of which I will read some of the juiciest bits shortly, the first comment I see is from Ben. Ben says, you have been sacked twice by the two weakest prime ministers in living memory. What a legacy. Off your pop. And yeah, that goes back to what I was saying. She's been sacked now twice for breaking the ministerial code. She broke the ministerial code when she leaked sensitive policy documents when she was Home Secretary for Liz Truss, aka The Lettuce. And she's now broken the ministerial code again for refusing to follow a directive from the prime minister as to what she should be publishing in the Times. So I think it's that combined with, as you laid out, uh, essentially incitement within that same article of what happened on Saturday. And also the monumental monumental fuck up of confusing unionists and Republicans. Yeah, she definitely offended. She managed to to offend everybody last week. She offended black people because she tried again, as people keep doing, they keep bringing up BLM and Black Pete and all of that in terms of, oh, well, if it was well, BLM no marches. Other, no, no other minority, blah, blah. All of, all of that. So she managed to offend Black people. She managed to offend every single protester and marcher who's been marching against the, the, the marching for a ceasefire. She managed to offend Northern Irish people because, as you said, she also, and now she's a conservative. Conservatives are traditionally allied, well, they are called the Conservative and Unionist Party. They're, they're allied with the Unionists in Northern Ireland. It was the Unionists who are really known for their marches, as you referenced in the introduction, the Orange Order. They're the people who march in Northern Ireland in terms of, oh, marched, or well, still do, marched still do, yeah. in terms of, um, you know, everything that's happening in Northern Ireland. But essentially, she she clearly confused unionists with republicans who were slash are their opponents in northern ireland so she offended her friends and she also offended her sort of political enemies she offended everybody and as i said she made she refused to make there were a lot of things in the article which no rishi and his team saw the draft of and were like no 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 and she said yes yes yes." yeah so she's gone. Should I read some of her, her letter to the Prime Minister? Why don't you give us the your your top three favourites? Right. So far. So, so, right, listen here. Usually when ministers resign slash are sacked, they let they post these letters from this sort of weird yellow House of Par- House of Parliament paper. And um, it's sorry, usually that's a- special good quality paper and also, you know, local government paper, which is all recycled. Can't they just use white? Anyway, that aside. No, because it's no, it's recycled paper. All the papers are recycled. Usually it's all paper, like one and a half. All papers that you get from local government or from government are recycled paper. Yeah, fair enough. So usually these letters are like one page and then a couple of paragraphs on the second page. First thing I noticed about this one, it runs a full three pages. 
we all knew that she was going to come out and she was going to come out biting. And this is just the start. This is surely the opening salvo in her war against Rishi. So oh let me gosh. read a couple of bits. <clears throat> he is salivating, guys. <laughs> right. Oh, sorry, just one more thing before, before I pick out the juicy parts. Usually in these, they usually follow a similar format, right? It's usually, uh, dear Prime Minister, it's been the honour of my life to serve as exposition. Uh, I am very proud of, and that's the first bit. Second bit is usually, I'm very proud of X, Y, Z, things we did, meaning I did. Meaning I'm, you know, puffing up my, my profile on the way out. Yeah. And then and then it usually follows off with a little little line saying, I look forward to supporting the government from the back benches. So it's usually that. It's simply, it was the honour of my life. I'm so proud of myself for doing X, Y, Z. I will support you in future. The end, usually. Well, not Suella, not Suella Braverman, MP, KC MP. Yes. <laughs> so she started off with, dear Prime Minister, thank you for your phone call yesterday morning in which you asked me to leave government. While disappointing, this is for the best. It has been the privilege of my life to serve as Home Secretary, blah, blah, blah. That's the, mm -hmm. it's been the honour of my life part. And then we have two and a half pages of <clears throat> pure character assassination. Absolute <laughs> just battering. So essentially what she does is she sort of splits up the middle bit into two. She focuses on two things mainly. She focuses on uh, the, after she does the proud of doing XYZ, you know, Public Order Act and National Security Act, yada, yada, yada. She goes on to essentially, she, she, spills, she spills the tea. So she tells us that uh, essentially, this there was. We all knew that there was a deal. It was a deal with the devil. Mm -hmm. um, her becoming Home Secretary because he wanted she, the right wing uh, part part of the government that she, her and Kemi are part of. The sort indeed. of 20, 20, 2015, twenty nineteen Tories. He wants to keep them on side. They've got a lot of clout because they're the only ones left. Everybody and every sensible Tory is, has run for the hills about four years ago. So this is who they've got left, and this is who has the power. The absolute lunatics. So she she gives us um she 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 gives us a uh... sorry brain freeze damn what happened to me <laughs> to, it's, you just it's got, the you excitement just I need to slow down so excited yes, I need to slow down. take a deep breath uh, oh, oh sorry yes deal with the devil sorry sorry yes <clears throat> so we all knew that there was a deal basically support me you know I'll bring you in I'll bring you back in even though you broke the ministerial code literally and got sacked in this job last week I'll bring you last back in week. let's go. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we knew that, but she gives us a bit more detail. So she says, as you know, I accepted your offer to serve as Home Secretary in October 2022 on certain conditions. Despite you having been rejected by a majority of party members during the summer leadership contest and thus having no personal mandate to be Prime Minister, I agreed to support you because of the firm assurances you gave me on key policy priorities. These were dot, 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 and she lists them out. So we know, obviously there's the thing, he wanted to keep the right wing on side, but there was also this thing where she, he basically said, come in, not only, you want. <laughs> yeah, not only back me up on the right and keep keep dogs at bay, but I promise to work with you on X, Y, Z. And many of the things that we've, we've, we've followed in the news over the past few months, um, the, 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 you know, the, the reforming, re, yes, Rwanda, reforming student visas. Um, and number two, interestingly, include specific notwithstanding clauses into new legislation to stop the votes, <clears throat> i.e. exclude the operation of the European Convention on Human Rights, Human Rights Act, and other international law that have thus far obstructed progress on this issue. Basically, you promised me 
We could shoot the boats down. <laughs> or we could turn quite. them back. Well, not quite. Not, okay, not you, shoot them down, you, but, but essentially not allow them to dock and push them back, which is what they've yeah. been doing in other countries. I, and you promised me that you would write in law that we can it, it we can ignore in all possible circumstances these pesky human rights conventions. Mm. So you promised me you would put this into law, basically is what she's saying there. And there were some other things, but essentially, unless you know the, the EU pro the EU retained EU law, Northern Ireland Protocol, basically, you told me that if I come in and back you up, you'll do XYZ. She yeah, says, you let me go. This was yeah, she says. So she says this was a document with clear terms to which you agreed in October 2022. So she's got receipts. So there was a paper. She mm. kept like a good lawyer. She got everything down on paper. She said, of course, paper trail. So that's the sort of first half of the the middle section. It's a case of you told me you were going to do all of this stuff. I've been pushing for it, and you've pushed back. And and mainly again around the issues when it comes to. Um, th- those those key sort of issues in her brief that she's been pushing for. The second bit of it, then the second but bit before of that you go on, what, what, but before you go on, what before you go on, what is really interestingly points out is when people have a lot of been people have been talking about you know Suella Braverman's sort of mandate from Rishi. This lets you know that it's not about you know what he believes or doesn't believe. Like it's, he doesn't care. It's about whatever would allow him to go get power, which is what this has all been about. He doesn't necessarily have any specific ideological belief about what he does or doesn't want. This is what he's way he thinks the wind is blowing, so this is the way that he's going to go. Indeed. And she... And she Him and, and Kia, the same. Yeah. And she really attacks him personally. One other thing I didn't mention about these letters usually, usually they don't... The, the person who's leaving government doesn't go for the jugular, doesn't attack... It's, obviously, it's always written to the prime minister. They don't attack the prime minister either personally or even professionally. She's attacked him in his professionally in his capacity as prime minister, but she's also sent a couple of personal di- jives at him, which are really nasty, which I'll get into once I've finished this little summary. So, as I said, the first half of this sort of middle section is you promised to do all this stuff, mainly about Rwanda. You said we're going to. Le- you said if if we didn't do this, then you would do this, and you did neither. That's basically the gist of the middle section. You said. I told you do this. You, I said you could do it this way, and you said you would, and you didn't, basically. Why? And then she yeah. goes on to she then goes on to set up what is going to come in, what's coming down the line tomorrow, Wednesday the fifteenth, in the Supreme Court. <clears throat> it's the Supreme Court. That's it. This is the final hearing of this Rwanda send all the migrants off to Rwanda case. Supreme Court is going to rule on that tomorrow. Everybody expects the Supreme Court to uh, to 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 block the government from doing that. So she uses her letter to go to wax lyrical about that. And what she does is she presents the two different scenarios. Pretty clever. Rwanda, says, bear in we... mind, Rwanda has taken of this deal so far. Rwanda has taken two hundred people and said that actually no, we can't we can't take any more. <laughs> so she what she does is she sets one hundred twenty million set... pounds we spent on this. By the way, she sets it up twice. So she says if we lose dot dot dot. And if we win, dot, dot, dot. But basically, she sets it up in a way where... It's not her Rishi, fault, it's Rishi's Rishi, fault. Yeah, Rishi, if we lose, it's on you. Because it, it basically, Rishi, if we lose, it's on you because you didn't listen to me. To mm-hmm. um, essentially, essentially, instead of relying on the courts, she basically saying, you should have put this in legislation. You should have written a law that said... The ECHR, it doesn't matter about the European Court of Human Rights, we're doing this, it's happening. Because obviously if it's then in law, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court can't do anything, it's legislation. So she's saying if we lose, it's because you didn't write it in law explicitly. And then she says, if we win, it doesn't matter anyway, because it's unworkable, essentially. So she's basically saying, whether you, she's she's setting it up. Yeah, because you'll just get individual lawsuits, that's what will happen. 
Exactly that, and yes, that's that's what she's essentially putting there. You know, it's going to be face. It's going to face legal challenges. So she different. Well, different aspects are going to face legal challenges. So as I said, she set him up. Basically, said if you lose, it's on you. If you win, it doesn't matter. It's crap anyway. It's not going to work. So nah, 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 nah. Anyway, so the second bit now, as I said, the first bit of that middle section was moaning about policy areas. The second bit is about hate marches. So. Another cause for, for disappointment and the context for my recent article in the Times has been your failure to rise to the challenge posed by the increasingly vicious anti-Semitism and extremism displaced, displayed on our streets since Hamas's terrorist atrocities of 7th of October. I have become hoarse urging you to cons consider legislation to ban the hate marches and help stem the riding tide of racism, intimidation and terrorist glorification threatening community cohesion. So the second half of it is her basically saying, you are presiding over massive disruption in our communities, and I told you, ban the bloody hate marches. That's basically the second section. Um, just a clarification that? that they are not hate marches, obviously. Indeed, and um, you, we can, you should get in, go into that as soon as I've finished uh, going to that in a bit more detail, because I'd be interested to hear you speak on that. Um, and that's it, really. As I said, it usually ends with the, I promise to support the government, I will support the government from the back benches. And she does sort of add that little line right at the end. I will, of course, continue to support the government in pursuit of policies which align with an authentic conservative agenda. So even in that little sign-off, it wasn't an unequivocal, I will support the Before government. It was... No, it isn't. She's going to cause problems. Basically, we all know that. And she's, going, she's given herself the caveat there. I will only support you if they align with a true conservative agenda. Ergo, she's going to say everything you do from now on is not true conservatism. That's what she's going to yeah. say. Um, but that's basically it. We'll put I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I did want to read just a couple of the really nasty personal jibes that she put in there. As I said, it's totally on brand, but you never see this kind of thing. So let me put, mm -hmm. let me uh, <clears throat> let me get back in character. <clears throat> Here we go. Despite you having been rejected by a majority of party members during the summer leadership context, and thus having no personal mandate to be prime minister. I agreed to support you because of the firm assurances you gave me on key policy priorities. So that one there, that, that's just, again, this is unprecedented. It's horrible. She basically said, again, she said the things that the likes of Nadine Doris, et cetera, et cetera, said, you know, you've been rejected and you have no mandate. To me, that then begs the question, why did you serve? Why, why serve in somebody's government? If you think he's illegitimate, think? yeah, if you think they're illegitimate. How, if all of you are power hungry, none of you are better than anybody else. Precisely. Everyone wants, be, everyone wants to be be the most moral criminal, but you're not. Precisely. So, second little extract. You have manifestly and repeatedly failed to deliver on every single one of these key policies. Either your distinctive style of government means you are incapable of doing so, or, as I must surely conclude now, you never had any intention of keeping your promises. Basically, you're either incompetent or you're a liar. Or a liar, yeah. <laughs> Again, that is horrible. It might be I mean, true, but bloody hell, you're yeah, not right. I was going to say, <laughs> again, this can be true of the last few leaders that we've had. And I'll just pick out this last one. As I said, that one was, she both went on, she both attacked him professionally and personally. So she's attacked him professionally by saying you're incompetent or you're a liar. And then she's attacked him personally again. She says, your rejection of this path, this is basically her saying you should have written into law that we can remove any obligations to the uh, European Court of Human Rights. So in that context, she says, 
Your rejection of this past was not merely a betrayal of our agreement, but a betrayal of your promise to the nation that you would do, quote, whatever it takes, unquote, to stop the boats. That word betrayal is really, it's, it's a strong word. And there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of controversy, if you remember, around, around sort of the, the, the brouhaha around Brexit, when they were talking mm-hmm. about uh, people betraying the nation. And then there was a lot of, there was a lot of pushback against Boris Johnson for employing that kind of language. It's really, it's divisive. It's, you know, it, 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 at the end of the day, if you are betraying your country, there's something, there, there's a word for that. And it begins with T. It's yes, treason. It was, You're calling somebody oh, a traitor. Your favourite word. Your favourite word. Yes, off to the off to the tower. Well, it's a reason that people's head. It's the reason people used to lose their heads. It's that serious. And you, former Home Secretary, basically saying the Prime Minister has betrayed the country. So yeah, as you were saying, Corey, I think it is just important to uh, remind people that obviously these marches are not hate marches. They're not about anti-Semitism. There is not. It is not about encouraging anti-Semitism. It's not about encouraging anybody to be anti-Jewish. And there are very much a large number of Jewish people calling for ceasefire and at these marches that are calling for a ceasefire. And it's really, really important that we do not conflate one, being angry with Israel or the um, the, um, war crimes that are being committed in Gaza at the moment as having anything to do with Jewish people or the Jewish faith. It doesn't. Their their behaviour has nothing to do with that. They're two separate things. And I think just because somewhere is an ethno state, it doesn't mean that they speak for a whole religion or for a whole people or the idea that they are allowing allowing them to sort of bogart the conversation by aligning themselves as speaking for all Jewish people or the religion, which they obviously don't. And it's also important to point out that across the political spectrum, it is recognised there is no way to, to get Palestinian freedom is not via bombing, you know, children and innocent civilians. We're never going to get there. And all it does is create um, more cycles of violence. All it does is create more cycles of despair, more cycles of depression, more cycles of trauma. And then we never get out of the space that we're in. There is no possible way for anyone to, to get to a two-state solution in this way whatsoever. And, um, you know, I feel like that there's more to this conversation that needs to be had, but right now that is not our center of focus. We could probably very much do a whole episode just on that, but that's not what this um, show is about. So we're going to be talking about back to our British politics, talking about um, our new foreign secretary, who I would actually posit has been employed due to the current spicy um, international and foreign politics that we are situation that we are in. There is, you know, what looks up to be to be brewing a, uh, a war along the coast of uh, Northern Africa and the Middle East. You know, you've got Egypt, there is bombing happening. Um, Israel is bombing uh, Lebanon. There is bombing happening in Syria. Um, the Houthi in Yemen have sent, sent a bomb up to space trying to get it down. It didn't, you know, it was intercepted. But the point is, is that there is a lot of uh, posturing. There is a lot of jostling. There has been, you know, the Arab states. Pre- I've just recently had a conference tabling motions about, you know, cutting off oil to um, to um, America, the pipelines. So in that vein, Rishi has hired elder statesmen, man of, man of many lives, Call me Dave, hug a hoodie camera. No, 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 no. King of foreign politics, someone who presided over the 
biggest modern foreign political failure, some would see it as in uh, recent British politics, the one, the only, David Cameron. How could David Cameron become an MP? He doesn't have a seat. He has not been elected. Well, welcome to British democracy, baby. Out the king of our democracy, no less, has tabled a day, uh, not even table. He doesn't need to table anything. He's the king. He has appointed our favorite Dave as a into the House of Lords as a baron so that he can serve in the current cabinet. They, and there you go. That's how you do it in Britain, baby. Democracy where? Why? Who cares? Not us. There you go. Corey, as you were saying. First of all, from here on, here on after, we will put some respect on Cormy Dave's new name. He's no longer David Cameron. No, sorry. He is His Majesty's Principal Secretary, Secretary of State for the Foreign Office, mm-hmm. the Lord Cameron. The yes, Lord. Cameron. He has been ennobled, as uh, as you so eloquently put it. Uh, mm-hmm. King Charles, with the stroke of a pen, made him mm-hmm. made him a lord, a, a peer of the realm. And yes, he's been uh, put in the House of Lords because to be a government minister, you need to be in Parliament. And as you said, he's not in the Commons anymore, so he was raised to the House of Lords, so he could be made Foreign Secretary. And he takes over from uh, James Cleverly, who himself has stepped into Suala Bravnan's shoes. So to the poison chalice of Home Secretary. That is the Home Secretary's job, yeah. Um, so that will be an interesting one to see how he manages that, because, yeah, it is a, a very difficult job. He's gone from the, uh, the, the, the cushy job of Foreign Secretary flying here, there and everywhere uh, uh, at the taxpayer's expense to having to figure out the boats, uh, Rwanda, the police, marches, and everything <laughs> else that is in the brief of the Home Secretary. Not going to, you know, cut ribbons and shake hands in Jordan. No, no. Indeed. He's a. Uh, now everything's going to be his fault. Massive brief. Probably needs to be broken into, but they won't. So uh, good luck to him. They've got another ethnic in so that they can. Uh, be a mouth a mouthpiece without anyone challenging anything because it would be racist. We it's should say, really. uh, yeah. Following on from that, so James Cleverly is now both the first, he's the first black slash mixed heritage foreign secretary, or he was, and he's also now the first black slash mixed race home secretary as well. Ooh, uh, so uh, for baby, breaking breaking boundaries and smash, smashing glass ceilings is our James Cleverly, and yeah, and I would like him. to say. Um, I know we should probably speak a, a little bit about the substance, but I would like to take this po- this moment to, uh, yeah. uh, on behalf of every single uh, black man in this kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, in every all 1.5 to 2 million of us, I would like mm-hmm. to take this moment to appreciate the fact that James Cleverly uh, remembers that he has a barber. And unlike the first, <laughs> I was black really wondering where this was going to go. Unlike the first black chancellor, Quasi Quateng, who clearly forgot where his barber was located. No, he didn't. Forgot. His hair—he loves it. Leave him alone. All hair matters. 
I would just like to say that on behalf of every black man in the entire kingdom, we are now thankful that we have somebody in the highest levels of politics who can maintain a decent lineup. Should we go back to substance? Yes, we should. Yes. So you made a point about Cameron. Cameron is now in House of Lords. Now, I don't buy this whole thing, this whole, as you you were implying there and making taking swipes at the nature of our democracy by saying, by number one, it seems like you have a problem with the House of Lords. We won't get into that today. Um, but also this there's this idea that uh, David Cameron's not been elected. He's in the House of Lords. Why is he foreign secretary? He shouldn't be foreign secretary because he's in the House of Lords, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, what people are conveniently forgetting is that we already have government ministers who are in the House of Lords. Like, this isn't new. Now, for granted, fine. It's the first time in 40 years that the foreign secretary of, of that equivalent level in the cabinet has come from the House of Lords. But it's not completely unprecedented. And I'm not even talking about ancient history, you know, 19th century, early 20th century, where we even had prime ministers who were in the House of Lords. But to this day, we've got ministers and sort of more minor, sec even secretaries of state, you know, the most senior minister level in cabinet who are in the House of Lords. The, the, there are a number of them who sit in the House of Lords. So this whole idea of, oh, well, it's not democratic. Well, you get rid of them all. I know you probably wouldn't say yes, do that. Of course you I would either, say yes, do that. You either get rid of the House of Lords or you get rid of the entire idea, the idea entirely of having ministers in the House of so Lords. How, so, so, how do we subject, so how do we subject our, for, how do other MPs subject our foreign secretary to questioning, considering that he cannot be questioned in the House of Commons? Right. So I think that is... That I think that is a, a how is he is held to account? Yeah. So, so how in a time of great foreign political crisis, we can't even hold our foreign secretary to account in the House of Commons. Not even so we, but our own elected officials can't. I mean, not that they would, because they're all on the same page as basically <laughs> a uniparty at this point. So you know, irrelevant, we, but still important. So you raise, you know, you raise a couple of good points there. Number one, it's a fair question, uh, but. Uh, and also, that's a, a good point you make about the unipart, the idea of the uniparty. I'll get, I'm going to mention, you've reminded me of something there, which I mentioned. But in terms of holding him to account, so yes, you're right. David Lammy is the shadow foreign secretary, your best mate, the MP for Tottenham. Mm -hmm. Usually, if there's an issue um, where the, for, the, the foreign secretary uh, would come to, has, to, has to come in and deliver some sort of statement to the House of Commons, he would deliver that statement and... In the same way that it works with Prime Minister's questions every week, where Richie Sunak gets up and speaks and Keir Starmer responds, when it comes to department-specific issues, that specific minister would speak and then he would sit down and then David Lammy would get up and, and respond, challenge, question him. So yes, you're right, that isn't going to happen because he's not in the House of Commons, so MPs are not going to be the ones who are responding to him directly. However, he would. there, there is still room for scrutiny, there's still room for questioning. It's, it's, uh, well, it's threefold. So it's both in the House of Lords, in the House of Commons, but then also in front of select committees of Parliament. So very briefly, in the House of Lords, David Cameron would sit in the House of Lords, he would deliver whatever he needs to deliver, questions would be tabled that he would need to answer, and he would be he would be then questioned by the opposition in the House of Lords. In the House of Commons, obviously he can't sit in the House of Commons because he's not an MP, so what would happen there is probably the most senior minister in under him in the foreign office would be the one who would essentially stand in his place and be questioned by the opposition in the House of Commons. I believe it's Andrew Mitchell. So so, so scrutiny would still happen. He directly would be questioned in the House of Lords and one of his deputies, who is an MP, would be questioned in Parliament. And then the third thing, he would then also go before like select committees of Parliament. So whenever, you know, committees are... are, are, are 
sorry, when committees happen, um, he would be questioned, you know, the conference side rooms of parliament. So there's still, there was still the, 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 the levers of scrutiny and questioning and, and opposition are still there and would still take effect. I agree, it's not traditional, if you consider tradition the last 40 years and not the previous 250 years, but the scrutiny still would happen. Oh, so, and the point you made about the Uniparty, yes. So uh, that's the other thing. So it, it, the the far, foreign affairs is usually, is probably the one area among, above probably every, I was going to say in the environment, but no, they even, they even, they even clash on that. No, foreign affairs is probably, uh, off the top of my head, it's, it, it's definitely one of, if not the most agreeable area when it comes to the different sides of parliament. So, well, at least the main two parties pretty much whatever, as we're seeing now with Gaza and Israel, whatever the government do, the opposition are probably going to support. When it comes to the home office, the environment, the economy, obviously there's a lot more objection and tit for tat and, and, and the opposition. But when it comes to foreign affairs, just by tradition, there's usually not a lot of opposition. It's just it's just the scrutiny side as opposed to the scrutiny and opposition. The foreign affairs, um, the foreign affairs program in this country, there is no foreign affairs program. The foreign affairs program is what is America going to do, and then we'll do that. That's the extent of it. It goes no further than that. Has no more deeper thought than that. There has no independent thought. There is no independent British foreign policy. It's what is Joe Biden going to do? Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. It's absolutely embarrassing. We're an independent state. We are not a cuckold state of the United States. We should be making our own independent foreign policy with our own, based on our own independent needs that this country needs. It has nothing to do with anybody else. But sorry, I'm getting, I'm going off, and that obviously that's not going to change with David Cameron, as very much David Cameron, you know, is part of the international rules-based order. But in the sense that whatever America wants, he's happy to do that. And it's also about, you know, laundering his opinion, you know, bolstering the relationships that he's had with international leaders, maintaining the, the relationships that he's had with international leaders, because that's what the Foreign Secretary is about, international relationships, a lot of it. And using these international relationships to, to do some back-channeling and to probably, I don't know, get a job with Google when this is over. That's exactly what it is. He wants to do what Nick Clegg did. Green Seal didn't work out. So he wants to do what Nick Clegg did. And I just want to point out that some of the things that uh, David Cameron did while he was president oversaw austerity with his bestie, George Osborne, which called, unto called untold harm and numerous deaths to people on benefits, um, broke the NHS, was doing some backdoor lobbying under Green Seal Capital, um, presided over the Brexit referendum and essentially the degradation of British politics as we have known it. The past 10 years have been an absolute shit show and the past five have been pure and utter hell. Since 2016, we have been going to hell in a handbags basket and I think that we are basically there. Um, he has very much not been on the same page as Rishi Sunak in terms of policy and how things would be done. The scrapping of HS2, he came out against the stuff with Rwanda. He did say that, you know, he had he had opinions on. So it's really interesting to know what he's going to do as foreign secretary. But it would be really super interesting to know what is Rishi Sunak's foreign policy agenda, because he doesn't really seem to have one. So. All in all. A last hurrah from a failing prime minister who is very much only here for the photo shoots and the uh, very shit videos that he keeps posting online. For God's sake, man, 
do your job is all I have to say. Savage indictment of prime ministers present and past. I mean, what is... Listeners, sit down with yourself and ask, what is going on in this country? Have you felt any sort of communal joy, British joy in the past year? What's going on? Absolute rubbish. We're becoming a failed state at this point. Can you get through to your doctor? What's it like when you go on holiday? What's it like taking a plane? What's it like using any form of public service? What is public transport like? Have you been on a bus recently? Is it not like, you know, jumping into the the ring at this point? Every single service is failing in this country. And we're we're told to look the other way because something better, if we just stop the boats, then it will solve all the problems and we'll become a, a green and pleasant land. That is not the case. We are fucked. And our government is not doing anything other than giving contracts to their mates because they don't care. The end. I mean, I just say, uh, I am, Dave wasn't, Dave definitely isn't, Dave wasn't the greatest prime minister. David Cameron made a lot of mistakes. Not sure I'd agree with everything you put, but certainly some things you put there I can definitely agree with. voted for him, so, you know. I can definitely agree with some things you said there. However, compared to the absolute transparent garbage juvenile yes, just garbage that we've had of late in terms both in terms of prime ministers and also secretaries of state. You know, p- people like the, the person who we opened this episode talking about. Compared to them, now granted the bar might be in hell, but compared to them, for me. Having Big Dave, call me Dave, hug a hoodie Dave, hug a hoodie Lord Camp. I need to think of a new Okay, yeah, thing please. That, I'm not sure if I can call him no, call no. Me Dave. I, I understand what you're saying because like I said to you, I think the political, the actual political operative instinct of this is very smart. And considering I think that I do think Rishi is an extremely poor political operator, for me, I understand absolutely why he's made the decision. He doesn't need to build relationships with anybody. David can fly off to Saudi Arabia. He can go down to Egypt. He can go down to Jordan and he can have, com- and he'll be able to get into the room and he can have conversations and he will be respected because he has that gravitas that no other that very few current people in the the, um, the Tory party who would be willing to serve have so it absolutely makes sense he's the most recent competent person I think that's probably why he's been chosen within the Conservative Party my point is is that David Cameron has a stink and it hasn't washed off yet but in terms of political operate operativeness for the next year sure why not you know um, Suella's dragged the party super right. It's created all this ruction. David's from the centre. He's hoping that he can create some sort of kumbaya coalition to get them through the um, the next election without getting an absolute slaughtering. And he's hoping for the best. He's hoping that Keir sinks because he's got his own problems. And, you know, we'll see. But I get the political choice. I'm just saying, in general, bleh. And, and so on that, even though I am an independent, you know, I am, I am, I, I don't, I'm not a, a, a member of any parts, any you know particular affiliation in terms of party affiliation. I'm, I'm very much a, I'm very much your independent centrist. Um, Enjoy so, being lily livered. That's what that is. It's lacking the courage of your convictions. Oh no, wait, actually, no, wait. I think was it what was it that Ian Dale who said that he was a centrist is Daddy's home. I think that's what we should. Daddy's home is it? 
Yeah, if I if right. I could just be if I could be allowed to make my point without being insulted in the same <laughs> way that Suella Bravman in, insulted our prime minister, um, me being you know as I said you know very very much the, the independent here, um, I is 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 a it's uh I, I sort of hesitate to say this because he's not an amazing he's not got an amazing record but relatively speaking it's a breath of fresh air to me it's 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 uh, excitement's too strong, it's slight optimism holding the door now ajar for me, thinking that the Conservative Party can be dragged back somewhere towards the middle, away from the the, the crazies who have who have been the loudest voices over the past four years. So for me, I'm I'm it, it gives me some optimism. It gives me some it, it forces me to rethink maybe Rishi Sunak isn't a culture warrior. I never thought he was, but he's been making it very hard to think that based on not only who he's employed, he's made, but he made also that one race joke and nobody clapped. But also things he himself has said, which I'm like, damn, I thought you were not one of these crazies, but you're sounding like them. Well, bringing somebody like Cameron into into cabinet at that kind of level gives me a bit of pause and makes me think, okay, maybe he isn't one of the crazies. Maybe he's just really naive, doesn't really know what he's doing, and got swayed by the crazies, and maybe he's trying to bring it back slightly. I'm, I, I I wait to be convinced, but there's there's some optimism here for me now that wasn't there before. But as I said, I'm an independent. I don't really have a dog in this race at either party, so you know. <clears throat> sure, if that's what uh, helps you to sleep at night, if that's the lie that you need to tell yourself, that is. Don't why don't why people never believe me. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NotBanePod. And if you're listening on iTunes and you enjoyed what you heard, rate us five stars. It helps us get up the rankings. If you didn't enjoy it, ignore everything I just said.